Dr. Lucky, that was a beautiful prayer. And thank you, worship ministry, this morning. I would encourage you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis. Turn to Genesis. I think that Genesis has become my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, but Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Um, many weeks preceding this, before Baccalaureate Sunday last week, and appreciate Pastor Andrew for leading that. We've been in a series on the family, and it seems fitting as we wrap up all of the family series to talk about moms. Through this series, we have been often in the book of Genesis, and I think the reason it is so important and foundational is because it sets the tone for the rest of the Bible. There's a, a statement or a, a, really a, a word out there that you may or may not know what it means, but you probably use it and don't realize it. It's called hyperlink. A hyperlink is this, is that if you're reading a Word document or a or looking at an internet site, something like that, and you're reading along the text, and then all of a sudden, typically, they change colors. It goes from black to blue, or blue to red, or you know, some one color changed to another, and sometimes it's even underlined. And if you pull your mouse, or your pointer, or whether you're using a touchpad or whatever, if you pull it over the hyperlink, it typically will do something to say, hey, if you click on me, I will take you somewhere else. Well, the rest of the Bible is essentially a hyperlink back to Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11 serves as the foundational um, understanding for the rest of the Bible, and they get referenced over and over again. For instance, when we've been in the series on marriage, we talked about, for instance, when Jesus talked about marriage in Matthew 19, that he hyperlinks back to Genesis. When he is questioned about divorce, he hyperlinks back to Genesis and says, well, from the beginning it was not so. God made them male and female, and the two shall become one. So he's hyperlinking back there. <clears throat> so Genesis serves as that, not just for the family, for, for just about everything. And most importantly, we find the first picture of salvation right here in Genesis. And we've talked about this some through the years as I've had the privilege of being your pastor. But we're going to talk about how the message of salvation today cross sections and hyperlinks back to Genesis and cross sections with mothers here on Mother's Day. In fact, this is a way I've never thought before. In fact, it was in Bible study this week in preparation for this Sunday that I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've never seen this before. So this is, this is pretty fresh out of the oven. So, all right, our main statement this morning is this, is honoring mom is anchored in the beginning. Honoring mom is anchored in the beginning. Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Genesis chapter 3 verses 20 through 21. There will be a few other passages there that we're going to look at in Genesis, but they will be on the screen. The word of our God says this morning, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Okay, honoring mom is anchored in the beginning. Now, we need to build a little bit of context of where we're landing in this story. Now, I know you've heard me teach a lot 
from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but where exactly are we following in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 20? This is right after God has doled out and described the consequences and the fallout from Adam and Eve sinning and rebelling in the Garden of Eden. For instance, you remember Eve took of the fruit, gave some to her husband. Adam took of the fruit. They both sinned before God. They are confronted by God for what they have done. And you remember what Adam said when God says, Adam, what have you done? He said she did it. She says, well, the snake told me to. And then finally God looks at the snake and he didn't have a leg to stand on. You know that old joke. But, but anyway, after, after God <coughs> asked the serpent, he begins to dole out the consequences and he starts with the snake and then he moves to the woman and then he moves to the man and he says, okay, because all three of you have done this terrible thing, this is what it's going to be like for you. If you remember correctly, the snake is pronounced a curse and doom, but the man and the woman are only given consequences to be put outside of the garden, but with the hope of returning one day. So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20 picks up right after God gets done. In fact, I don't have it on the screen, but look in verse, let me, for instance, just look in verse number 17. If you've got your Bible there, this won't be on the screen, but allow me to read it to you so you can hear the flow of where we're following in the text. So he's already talked to the serpent, he talks to Eve, and now he said, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, that's where we pick up, and now the very next thing Adam speaks. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Have you ever noticed how that just seems a little strange? All right, here's your consequences. You're going to die. It's going to be bad. It's going to be hard. This is what life is going to be like. Adam, what do you have to say? I don't know. I think I'm going to call her Eve. Like, that doesn't really make sense, right? That does, like, what are we naming girls at this time? It doesn't really make, make a whole lot of sense. Well, hopefully today we can make more sense of this today, and I think it will be an encouragement to you and give Gratitude to all of our hearts for our moms. So principle number one is what was a woman made to be? This is review because we've talked about this in previous weeks. But just to build the case for today, a woman was to be a helper. When God made a woman, he made her to be a helper. Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 22. When God had made Adam in the garden, he decides that it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper. The scripture says... Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, for I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the ground and every birds of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a... Here it is again, helper, 
fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So let's talk about what this means here this morning. First of all, the word here in Hebrew, you've heard me talk about this before, is ezer. Ezer. That is the word for helper. Now, here's what we need to understand. When we use the word help, we are not talking about Adam was looked at by God and he says, hey, he needs some help as in a servant. No, that's not what God. The woman was not to be the man's servant. That is not the word what the word captures. When we think of the help or something like that, you may think of serving. Well, no, that's not what that word means when God says helper. Also, the woman was not to be the man's employee, such as a hired hand either. Like perhaps you might think of helper in the sense of like, hey, I have a career, I have a job, and I've brought along an apprentice for me, someone who can be my assistant. The woman was not to be the man's assistant either. That word is not capturing servant or assistant. The woman was to be the man's partner. The woman was to be the man's partner. And there's another word that we can use. Um, There's a biblical Old Testament scholar, I had the privilege of hearing her lecture a few years ago, Dr. Carmine Imes. Uh, She's an excellent Old Testament scholar, written a lot on the name of God, the third commandment from uh, the Ten Commandments. But anyway, Dr. Imes, in her translation of this particular verse, takes the word helper and uses the word ally. And I really like it. It makes a lot of sense to me. It helps me understand. Perhaps you read this verse in the King James and originally it was help mate. Well, that's, that's wonderful, but most of us are like, well, you, we don't really talk about that we don't really use that kind of language today we don't even call each other helper either in that sense to describe an ally but the woman was to be here's the second main principle an ally to the man to complete humanity this is what God made for the man not a servant not a hired hand but a partner a partner let me show you another place in the scripture where this exact same word ezer is used and will help you understand I want you to look at Nahum chapter 3 and verse number 9 some of us are like Nahum I didn't even know that book was in the Bible it's there it's there all right Nahum chapter 3 and verse 9 now who is Cush okay Cush is a nation south of Egypt okay Egypt, obviously, is a nation, and then Put and Libya, they're also nations as well. But notice what it says. Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit, Put and the Libyans were her helpers. Now, we're talking about nations during time of war. Nations during time of war. When you look at that word helper there, you see how this word is being used that put and Libyans were the helpers or the ally the ally so what does an ally do what does an ally do well an ally shares and completes an ally shares and completes 
for instance, if there are two nations, let's say one is rich in oil and another is rich in grain, the nation rich in grain says to the nation rich in oil, hey, I don't have a lot of oil, but I have a lot of grain. Why don't I give you some grain and you give me some oil? That way, our strengths, which are different than each other, that together we might complete each other and be better together than we would be alone. That's what it means to be an ally. And this is the word that is used to describe woman. This is what this word ezer or helper means. It means ally, to complete, to complete the puzzle, to put together what is missing. But not only does an ally share and complete an ally defends and protects an ally defends and protects like for instance if you're watching the news today you know that there is a huge question out there the question of Taiwan and I'm not trying to be controversial I'm using this for illustration point is that at least my understanding is that there has been an agreement between the United States and Taiwan that if Taiwan is ever threatened or invaded that the United States would come to her aid. All right, at least that's my understanding. Somebody who's a foreign policy expert may say, Brother Matt, you, you don't understand anything. Totally got me there. I, I, I will concede I, I'm not a foreign policy expert, but it doesn't stop me from having an opinion. But... Um, <laughs> but, it, but anyway, this is how an ally works. If I'm invaded, I'm expecting you, my ally, to come to my aid. Meaning, if you hurt my country, then I'm expecting this other country to come to my aid. That's what it means to be an ally. That an ally is not just this completion of fixing strengths and weaknesses, becoming something better together. But no, an ally is somebody that is saying, listen, if you harm them, you are not only picking a fight with them, you're picking a fight with me. I'm standing with them because to lay a hand on them is to lay a hand on me. Oh, by the way, have you ever heard of the phrase, if you, you know, mess with mom, you can see a grizzly bear or a mama bear? Listen, if you mess with a mother's children, they will harm you. We all know this. I mean, parents, yes, but it's, there's something about moms that there is this nature of protecting that is like we all understand this. It is the nature of a woman to protect, to protect her own. That's what allies do. And it's the very word that's used in the Bible to describe a woman. So, not only does an ally share and complete, but an ally defends and protects. But there's one other thing that an ally does. An ally expands and enriches. Expands and enriches. Because, for instance, if you have an agreement to share and complete each other, if you have an agreement to stand with each other and defend each other, the, the next thing that an ally does is because of the newfound strength and resources and the newfound strength in defense that the entity has, now that entity stands to expand and be enriched. This is what an ally does. It's, it's when the woman comes to the man that no longer is it just him, it's her. 
when I was a young, young, young man, this was before I was married and I was serving in ministry in Indianola, Mississippi at Eastwood Baptist Church, serving under the ministry leadership of Dr. Billy Thomas. I just received a text a few moments ago sitting right there that Dr. Thomas is on hospice care. Um, I'm going to have to figure out how to go and see him. A wonderful man that taught me how to do just about everything in ministry. I served with him for a year and a half, two years. He taught me how to do a hospital visit. I remember all the rules. We would walk through the hospital and he'd say, listen, don't wear hard-soled shoes. You don't want to sound like the police coming down the hallway. Don't, don't ever sit on the bed, Brother Matt. That's bad form. All right? All these things. Don't ever ask somebody laying in the hospital bed, so how are you doing today? How do you think they're doing? They're in the hospital. So anyway, love Dr. Thomas and certainly prayerful for his family. But when I was there at Eastwood Baptist Church, I was, I was thinking about, wow, I'm going to get married. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get married. How am I going to afford this? And there was a, a man in the church I was talking to and I just said, I, I don't know how in the world I'm going to be able to afford being married. Like, but it's too late, I've already proposed to her. Like, I, what am I going to do? And I was talking to him, and his wife was standing right next to him. Her name was Debbie. And Debbie looked at me, and she grabbed both of my hands and pulled them to her. She said, you see these hands? I said, yes. She said, when you're married, you don't have two. You have four. You come together, and you figure it out, and God blesses. I remember that. That's in 2003, 2004. It's been a long time ago. But there is something that an ally, when you come together, that a woman not only completes the man, not only defends the man, but she enriches and expands him. That now he is going to become something way more than he ever could have alone. That's what it means, that word, to be an ally. That this ally that has come into the man's life is going to help the man achieve a peace and a picture of humanity that would otherwise have been impossible. So let's go to the next thing. But it's, it's a little strange in the story. This is a beautiful thing that God gives the man. God gives the man an ally, and strangely, the ally was the source of the man's demise. It's kind of like a plot twist. Like, God looks at the man, and God says, okay, it's not good for the man to be alone. This is the first not good in Scripture that's actually spoken. It's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make him an ally. I'm going to give him a gift. I'm going to complete him. And then lo and behold, it is the gift itself that becomes deceived and ultimately is the man's undoing. And by the way, I'm not blaming this all on the woman because it's blamed on both of them because she listened to the serpent. He listened to his wife. They both disobeyed God. It's all a team effort. But if you look at the, the flow of the story is this, the, the great salvation gift, the great help gift that the man is given strangely becomes the man's demise. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, you can see this on the screen. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, when we're reading this story, we're like, well, that really didn't last long. This got bad really fast. They just disobeyed God, and now we're in a mess because the ally that was supposed to complete, the ally that was supposed to protect, the ally that was supposed to enrich has now kind of helped bring down. Not her fault. It was all of their fault. But kind of here is the mess that we're in. So God, having to discipline the situation, comes in and then does what I shared with you earlier in the message, which was he doles out the consequences. He tells the snake, this is what's going to happen to you. He tells the woman, this is what's going to happen to you. And then he looks at the man and says this is what is going to happen to you and then here we get genesis 3:20, where we started today which brings me to where i want to end this it just blesses me this was my my thought that i'd never thought before until this week is that celebrating our mothers was the first act of faith celebrating our mothers was the first act of faith. I'm going to, it's just two verses. I'm going to read it to you again. Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Now you know the backstory a little more. Let's read it with, let's listen with new ears. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother, by the way, first time in the Bible, this is mentioned, mother. So what does that mean? That means that every other time in the Bible when the word mother is mentioned, you hyperlink back to this one. Because this is where it started. He had already mentioned woman. But this is the first time mother is mentioned. So the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So let's talk about a couple of things here. First of all, let's talk about the Hebrew word for Eve. The Hebrew word for Eve, it sounds like another word in Hebrew that is life giver. So when you, you say her name, it sounds like you are saying life giver. Also, the Hebrew word for mother captures the idea of water giver water giver so let's see if we can put these ideas together go in the creation narrative of genesis chapter 2 there's a a garden but before there's a garden there's just there's this this mountain and then there's a spring that's bubbling up and then the spring bubbles up and waters the whole ground and then makes this lush garden then after this lush garden is there, God makes the man out of the dirt and puts the man in the lush garden. Then God makes the woman out of the man in the lush garden, this place of water. Now, I mowed the yard yesterday, and I should have changed clothes before I did. It was really, really hot because I was wearing pants, long sleeve shirt and an undershirt foolish like what in the world like I practically had to have an excavator pull the shirt off of me afterwards because it was I was so drenched and soaked and after mowing the yard I had this immense craving for water 
because water signifies life. Now, keep in mind, the Bible's not written to, to us, but it's written for us. But it was written to these original people who, by the way, live in a very arid desert region. So water is a huge picture for them as life giver. So Adam, he's looking at his wife. He's just heard about all the stuff that's going to happen. And he looks at her and he says, I'm going to name you water giver. The source of life. The life giver. Hmm. Why would he do that? Well, by the way, you probably know the Hebrew word for Abba. Father. Hebrew word for father. Abba. Mama is Amma. Or Am. So, there is a verse that is captured in Genesis chapter 3. And I think we're going to pull the strings together and pull this tight. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is when God is speaking to the serpent and he talks about the serpent and the woman. Notice what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent now. Between your offspring and her offspring. Ah, oh, the first idea of mother. Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here's the picture. We've got all three of the characters standing before dad, Adam, Eve, snake. He starts with the snake and God looks at the snake and says, listen, I'm going to use offspring of the woman to destroy what you have done I'm going to destroy your works he is going to crush your head serpent Adam hears this Adam hears that the undoing of this great evil is going to come through his wife. Does it begin to make sense why the first thing Adam says is naming his wife life giver? Because as a part of the punishment passage, God says, I'm going to use the woman to save the whole world and destroy the work of the devil. Now, what's amazing is that God made her an ally from the beginning. And it's amazing to me that even though human sin convolutes the picture, God's purposes cannot be undone. In the end, the woman is going to save the man after all because... The woman is going to bring forth her seed, ultimately named Jesus. And the seed of that woman is going to undo all the wrong and make everything right. This is what God is saying. So Adam, he hears this. And he says, 
I just love Mother's Day. Wait a second, that's not what he says. Why is it that Adam celebrates Eve? He doesn't call her honey. He doesn't call her darling. He doesn't call her his woman, his wife. He looks at her and calls her mama. Why does he call her mom? You know that story of the thief on the cross? Luke's gospel, Jesus is being crucified. And the penitent thief, the repentant one, he actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, sees his sin and he sees Jesus for who he is. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe in my heart and I'm confessing with my mouth that I want you to come into my life and I'm going to be baptized and join the church. He does not say that. You remember what he says. He just says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you remember when Philip is meeting with the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts? And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he comes to Isaiah 53, and he's reading about all we like sheep have gone astray, all of this. And then Philip appears on the road and begins to explain the gospel to him. And then finally, after this conversation that they have together in the chariot, eventually Philip's guest, the Ethiopian eunuch, says, well, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Why would he say it like why not just say, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and I confess that he is my Lord. What? All that is assumed. He says, listen, I believe and this is the way I'm saying it. I need to get in that water and be baptized. Here's my point. My point is that when people turn towards God, they accept the salvation that he has offered. The very first acceptance of God's salvation in the Bible is right here in Genesis 3.20. Because God does not clothe them with skins until Adam names Eve mother. Because it was the naming of Eve mother where Adam was saying, God, I believe you. I trust you that you're going to use her to bring about salvation from the beginning it's believing and trusting in God and his promises and moms celebrating moms was the first way that that was ever manifested the first time salvation was ever displayed in the Bible it was a celebration of a mama for how her work was going to save the world. Now we know in the end it's not women saving the world. It's Jesus. But it's the seed of woman. It's from the beginning God said, it's not good for that man to be alone. I'm going to send him an ally. And even though we break it down and convolute it and get it all complicated, God's word never returns void. And his saving work through the woman is finished all the way so where does that leave us here on Mother's Day? Well, it leaves us here on Mother's Day is that when you celebrate your mama, and I celebrate my mama, and when I look at my wife, as I told her this morning, how grateful I was that she is the mother of my children, our children. 
when you celebrate that, you're remembering that first celebration of salvation. When God said, I'm going to send a helper, and I'm starting with a mama. And that's how it all started. And eventually culminating in a little girl giving birth to a baby boy in Bethlehem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gospel. Lord, I thank you that it is good news to everyone who believes. Lord, I thank you that we can see that despite their world falling apart, the first thing Adam does is believe the promise. And he celebrates his wife. Lord, human history has not been good concerning the treatment of women. Truly blaming her, shaming her, ignoring her, defaming her is the work of the devil. And the reason that the devil so desperately wants to destroy the woman is because the woman is the source of the Savior. Lord, I thank you today for sending Jesus to save all of us. And I thank you, Lord, for our moms. And Lord, I pray you would make us a people, first and foremost, grateful to God, grateful to you. Secondly, grateful for our moms. And then thirdly, that you would use us in our generation amongst our people in this little part of the world that we call Tupelo to elevate the treatment and the honoring of moms, to elevate the woman and to treat her as the God-given ally that she is. Help us to resist any pressure to do so otherwise. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.